Hello and welcome to OTP Volunteer Table. I'm Don Kuhlhorn. There's a tradition in theater that when no one's in the house, you leave on the stage a light. It's called a ghost light. The purists may say it's to keep a light on so that you don't trip over something and fall off the stage, which is usually a a raised platform. And hurt yourself, but I like to prefer—I prefer to call it a uh, ghost light that keeps the ghosts away from the uh, the main stage and the theater. Every theater I know of has a ghost or two in it, and Playhouse is no exception. But how many of these playhouses have a wizard? Well, the Old Town Playhouse has one. Well, Wizard, thanks for giving me some of your time again. Uh, we're uh, re-recording this once again. I forgot to step to press the record button, but we're back uh, talking about Wizard and his uh, his time at the Playhouse. So tell me again, what um, when did you come to the Playhouse? What keeps you here? Um, I walked into the place in uh, October of '72. It was about uh, according to what they were saying, uh, five days after they'd. Uh, signed the lease on the building with an option to buy. And uh, it was uh, auditions for the first show that we did there, which was uh, The Impossible Years. And uh, I didn't end up getting cast, but I ended up doing lighting for that show. And since and that just sort of kept me count, keep, you know, coming back. I'm out of school, so, you know, it's not like I can do theater at school anymore. Right. So it was a way of, you know, it was kind of the next step for me. Right, and the um, the lighting the the lighting that I know is a great big piano board. You have to have arms and legs and feet, and you hang on these rheostats and pull them down. Was that there when you were there? No, that came later. The uh, lighting board that we had when we started there actually came from uh, the uh, Park Place Dome. It was their old lighting board, and it was five rheostats three small ones and two large ones, and I believe like four or five uh, knife switches, knife levers. And uh, so bringing up the lights or taking them down, it was usually a case where I would bring up each, you know, the rear stats kind of, you know, halfways so that there's some light on the stage. And then I would hit the life, the uh, knife switches, which would all some bring those lights up, you know, full tilt. But because the other lights had already been coming up, it kind of masked the the sudden jerk and change there. And then I'd go back to bringing the restats back up to full. Now, where did you? Where was? Where was your station? Where did you do the lights or operate the lights from? That was uh, up in the balcony off the side. In fact, where the uh, catwalk used to come out, it was right there. Ah, uh, all in right. Fact, so. It certainly changed a whole bunch. We can go into that forever, but we won't. Uh, how many instruments did you have? I think maybe eight or ten, you know, real instruments. Uh, but the, what we had was uh, along the front of the stage was uh, an entire row of uh, reflector bulbs, and those were our footlights. So we that actually ended up providing most of our lighting. So if right. you see photos of the shows from back then – you notice that everybody's chin is really, you know, lit very well. 
almost a Halloween kind of uh, uh, lights from the bottom kind of thing. Yeah. Can you tell me, uh, you told me a story about uh, lights and how you you tried to outsmart the theater gods and they didn't quite play as well as you thought. Oh yeah, that was. Uh, I'm trying to think. Was that our second show? There it was. I know it was. Uh, uh, a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. And uh, we'd gotten, I think it was maybe the first weekend, we'd got definitely past opening night in that. And I kept thinking to myself, is, you know, if there was a way of putting all the lights on the dimmers. And I finally figured out that there was. And not overtax any of the dimmers. I think the maximum we had any uh, load on the dimmer was uh, 96%. So I rewired the board for that. And... Uh, then I left the lights on full tilt for about three hours to make sure that it was going to hold, and it did beautifully. So I thought, okay, we're all set. And we started the show that night, and about 10 minutes in, uh, Bev Atwood is out on stage by herself singing, and all of a sudden lights start going because the uh, fuses start bl- uh, blowing on me. And so I'm reaching in and grabbing these you know, fuses, and they're very hot. And so as soon as I get them out of the uh, slots there, I drop them, and uh, reached down, grabbed some new ones, put those in, and they'd hardly get in there, and then those would blow. And I'd keep doing this for about five times, and I'm down to my last set of fuses. So before I threw those in, I reached over to the board and yanked out some uh, contacts, uh, some circuits out of there, so that hopefully this time they would not blow and I can make it to intermission. Uh, technology. It's better than flipping just switches and hoping for the best, but nowadays we got some bigger stuff going. What about your acting? You're an actor, you're a director, you're a stage manager, pretty much everything at the Playhouse at one time or another, yes? Yeah, pretty much. What about acting? Do you uh, what, what kinds of things do you bring with you to acting? Um. My, I'm, I consider myself to be very good in comedy. I have a great sense of timing for comedy, um, if I do say so myself. And uh, but uh, you know, my attitude is if I'm in a show, I want to either be the person who makes you laugh, and if I can't be that person, I want to be the person who scares you. I want to be the bad guy. And uh, I also like what I call the cameo parts, which is. You know, you come out for five minutes, do a scene, and you're done. I, you know, let uh, everybody else work for two and a half hours to, you know, make themselves memorable, and I come out for five minutes and steal the scene, and I'm done for the night. It's always good to take stage and then walk off. You're done. Yeah. You're done your job. Uh, what about uh, directing? What do you do? You bring your acting chops into directing, or what's your what's your philosophy on directing? Uh, it actually kind of evolved. Uh, you know, it's the, yeah, I bring the acting with it and I try to, uh, I, you know, help the cast get to, you know, fit into the vision that I have for the show. But I also try to give them, you know, a way that they can put themselves into it. Uh, and, uh, it's, you know, with new people, you kind of have to, you know, help them out and show them, you know, the ropes a little bit more. But, uh, the, you know, the thing I usually tell the cast, you know, members is, you know, if there's something that you think is bad that I'm telling you to do, please at least let me see it my way once. 
and the odds are pretty good that I'm going to go, oh, yeah, you're right. That, that really is bad. And, you know, let's change this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, and then, you know, as time goes on, uh, a lot of my uh, influence or what I'm after is projection. That seems to be something that's disappeared in the last 40 years. Um, we've gotten so used to having microphones and that that we don't project anymore. Right. Right. We pretend it's almost like with the microphone, we think we're on TV. Oh, yeah. We, we the, other thing I like, uh, the other thing I like uh, with the cast is uh, you know, my, one of my little philosophies is that their character does not know what they're going to say until the moment that they say it. As the actor, they know what they're going to say, hopefully, you know, a week ahead of time. But their character does not know what the words are going to come out, the words that will come out of their mouth until that particular moment. And that's what makes the character real. Right. It's a, it's a hard thing to instill on people. Um, and try, and trying to figure out that to make them recognize that the show is preordained. It's already ended once they start it because the script tells you where you got to go. So you got to find all the words and meanings in the script to point you to point it to the end of the show. Been a director. Do you have any, how do you deal with recalcitrant actors when an actor, uh, I was once doing a commercial uh, uh, that the actor who was actually had the lines, I was just background, but the actors told the director, well, I don't speak that way. And the uh, director said, well, your, your character does. And I know actors uh, will have their heads up. How do, you, how do you help them to go with your vision? It really kind of boils down to whether or not they can, you know, be helped. Um, there are a few that, you know, you just, no matter what you do, they're going to do it the, their way. And uh, so at that point, you really kind of do the best that you can to kind of, you know, make their way kind of come a little bit closer to what you're after. But, you know, other than that, there's not much you can do. Um, and uh, I've had a few actors who, over the years, who have what I call held me hostage. Uh, you know, they've been fine for, you know, rehearsals and that until maybe the last 10 days, and then they've become really difficult because it's sort of like, you know, yeah, you can't replace me now, can you? <laughs> right. I mean, we do find that we can replace people, and we have done it. Um, typically, it's because they get ill or they, they can't make the performance, so we have to put somebody in. But um, – it is community theater, and what you get is what you get. What about stage managing? What do you? Um, what's your philosophy on stage managing? Um, the first couple of weeks, once we get past auditions, I try to watch, you know, and get an, a feel for what the director wants, what their vision is, so that that way, any input that I give goes along with that, and it, you don't end up with. You know, the cast, you know, getting, you know, one note from me and another one from the director and, you know, not knowing which way to go. Uh, as we get closer to opening, you know, especially during that last week, I really tend to take over. And uh, the old adage is that, you know, starting that final dress, the stage manager becomes God, which suits me beautifully. Uh, but uh, 
as and as a stage manager, my responsibility is to take care of everything backstage. And the house manager's job is to take care of everything, you know, out in the house. My attitude is, as a stage manager, the safety of every person in that building is my responsibility. And uh, so I will, once I get rid of the people, you know, get the people backstage safe, I will make sure that house is empty too. And I will be the last person out of that building. Mm-hmm. So what, what do you think, or how... I think, I, I guess think is the right word. What do you think of, uh, what does a stage manager do? Tell me the kinds of things that you uh, take on the responsibility for. Um, <laughs> during a lot of the rehearsals, especially the early ones, it's more or less opening up the building and, you know, locking it at the end of the night. Um, but also, you know, and that, you know, pretty much seems like the only thing I'm doing, but I'm also watching uh, the cast uh, the blocking everything like that so that as we get close to showtime i have a better idea of you know what is going to be needed and where it's going to be needed plus i also need to know the show pretty well so that you know i don't get lost and go you know oh when did they do that one um it's pretty bad you know although every so often you do get in a situation where something goes wrong you you've had casts where you know all of a sudden they will jump major pages and you're sort of like, Oh, where are we now? And uh, everybody goes into a little panic and we try to figure out, you know, are they going to recover or what? Mm-hmm. And so but, uh, before the show, you start making sure you have your organization, you do your inventory as you call it. Yeah. I, uh, if I'm running the uh, show from the booth, um, I need someone backstage to be my eyes and also my ears and mouth. Um, and so I do what I call inventory, which is, you know, before we do a scene or we start the show is, uh, I need to know that I have the actors I need to start that show. And so that's what I refer to as inventory. I will actually, you know, over the headsets, ask the person on, you know, backstage, do I have a full inventory? And they will say yes or no. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, and do you get involved with making sure costumes are ready and props are ready, or do you leave those to their those departments? Uh, costumes, I pretty much am hands off on uh, props. Pretty much, I've had, I really haven't had any problem with that. Uh, the person who's been uh, in charge of props backstage usually do their jobs well enough that I really don't even have to think about it. Mm-hmm. The only time I really have to is if, you know, it's sort of a case of, you know, where'd this go, you know, and we, okay, now we got to find some prop that's missing. All right. Well, um, what keeps you at the Playhouse? Oh, the money. All right. <laughs> money? <laughs> um, it's one of the few, uh, uh, you know, hobbies I really have left anymore. And it's also, you know, you know, to maybe seem a little egotistical, which is a rarity in theater. It's something that I feel that I do well. And mm-hmm. you kind of like doing things that you do well. It's always a good thing. Yeah. What do you, what do you say to anybody who is um, uh, thinking of the Playhouse and thinking of coming in to act or to work backstage or do any of that? Um, one thing I would say to them is 
be patient. Uh, you may not get cast right off the bat. It will seem like, you know, it may seem that, uh, you know, it's a very closed group and you will never make your way in. Um, but just keep hanging around and eventually, you know, you will be used. Uh, there's been times when uh, people who come in and they want to be part of the stage crew. And, you know, as a person who's working backstage, we really don't need them until maybe that last week or so before the show opens. And so I will tell them, you know, you're not going to hear from me for, you know, probably a month. Don't worry. It's not a case where I've forgotten you. I will get, you know, back with you. You can come and watch rehearsals anytime you want to, but just be patient and wait for my call and I will bring you back into to work on the show. And so that's the other thing I try to do when I'm working on it uh, is, you know, stage manager or things like that is I try to make sure that the, uh, the new people don't feel like they're ignored. Yeah. That's one of the most difficult things, making sure the news people know that, that they're not ignored. It's just the process that we have to go through to get a, get a show running. Plus, as a director, you know, and also as a stage manager, I have to keep reminding myself when it comes to the cast, we are so used to telling them, you know, don't do this, don't do that, oh, that was wrong, that you have to remember sometimes to say, God, you really did that, you know, great, you did a good job there. Uh, you have to, you know, give them the affirmative so they don't think, you know, oh, God, I'm horrible. Mm-hmm. Although acting... uh it was easier when I was younger. I can remember lines so much easier back then. Uh, yeah. Back when I was in my 20s, uh, if I was casting a part, I usually had my lines memorized before we ever did blocking. In fact, there was a couple times where the director would be kind of nervous because I, while we're doing blocking, I don't have my script on me. Uh, there was one time where they insisted I have my script, and so I – had it in my pocket, I had it in my hands, and I also had a mechanical pencil that had no lead in it. So that would look like I was writing things down in the book, but, you know, I wasn't uh, because, you know, it was part of my ego. Right. But, uh, it's uh, – the thing with acting is, you know, it's changed over the years. Uh, the thing – one of the things you have to work with now is getting people to project and uh, – you know, back in the uh, 70s and 80s, that was, you know, not so much of a problem. People did project you, you know, especially musicals. You actually had to sing over the orchestra. There were no microphones. Right. Right. So what do you, what do you, how do you prepare as an actor to, uh, to come to a role? Oh, boy. Um, it depends on the, the uh, character. Um, you know, some like uh, the Marquis decide, you know, you, you, where you have a historical background, uh, to go on, you kind of look at that. Uh, Iago and Othello, uh, who, Iago is probably Shakespeare's, uh, greatest villain. And, uh, so I love that part. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, then it was like, uh, A Man for All Seasons where you, I'm the common man. So I end up playing, I think, about 15 different characters during the course of the show. And I would kind of keep trying to give each character a little bit of a different uh, characteristic to separate them from the others. Um, back then, I had uh, 
a full perm, and I had bangs back then, didn't we all? And uh, so for the uh, boatman, I had a uh, eye patch, but during the rest of the show, I could show that eye patch up underneath my bang so you never saw it. So when it came time to be the boatman, I just reach up there and I pull down this eye patch and kind of, you know, do kind of a, you know, poor pirates type of a speech style. And when I was done with that scene, I just push it right back up under my bangs. Do you go through the um, a process to get characters? I imagine something like when you have multiple characters, it's difficult to write to do a process for it because they're they're almost cameos. Um, but do you do you have a process defining who you are? Do you have a history of your character going into the play? Do you do that kind of thing? I used to, but not so much anymore. Um, and you know, I I know a lot. You know, people, you know, actors, they will spend you know half an hour, an hour, maybe even two hours before the show even starts, you know, working themselves, getting themselves into the character. I tend to almost, you know, be a case where as I'm, you know, stepping on the stage, I can, you know, kind of walk into that character in a matter of a few steps. Although, um, what show was it? Uh, oh, the one uh, with uh, uh, the Lapina Gilles. Uh, down in the studio. Oh, yeah, that was um, Lapina Gilles, the uh, the bar. Right. Yeah. Before we start the show, um, I because I was playing a kind of an old uh, Frenchman, I gave my I kept you know doing little things, uh, kind of you know giving myself a little bit of a shake in my hands and uh, a little other uh, twitch or uh, things like that so that I had that all ready for me once I got out there. Mm-hmm. Did I ever tell you my story about actually going to Paris and going to La Pina Gilles? I seem to remember. I, I remember, you know, what, what I, you know, I remember someone said that. The and, only thing uh, that I, I was, we, we took the train, Deb and I took the, the subway out to the stop, and then you have to walk a couple of blocks. And I stopped in a bar, had a drink, and then, <laughs> I can't even remember the French now, but I, I in the hotel room, I, I went over the French words for where is the Lapina Gil? And the bar, barman just stared at me. Just couldn't <laughs> even, couldn't get it because I was, I was so far off. He finally enticed out or nudged out Lapina Gil and he says, go up the stairs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, whatever. It was very funny. But do you, uh, when you're a, a director, do you do any kind of special work as well in preparation for directing somebody or or a show? Mm, not really. Um, before we have auditions, I have in my mind what my perfect cast would be. I know that the odds are I will never get those people. Um, in most cases, they don't even exist. Uh, so at auditions, I'm kind of looking for people to give me a suitable alternative to what I have in my mind. And, uh, then, you know, after you get to the end of auditions where you're actually doing the casting, you're trying to take all these people and put them together in a way that will work together the best you can. Uh, I find, you know, quite often that, uh, 
you know, after I get through casting the show and there's that, you know, few days before you have your first read through and so forth that, you know, all the doubts set in and I'm like, Oh God, did I make the biggest mistake in the world? Should I have cast it this way and so forth? And then you get to the read through and you listen to those voices again and you're like, Nope, I got it right. <laughs> there's always a fear when you, when you cast people, um, will they come with a character that they brought to the rehearsal or to the audition, or will they bring something entirely different? It's always, sometimes you get that shock afterwards. Oh, yeah. Because uh, auditions are always different, always, always a challenge. Um, you're a Shakespearean. You like Shakespeare. Uh, yeah, the uh, former uh, head of the uh, theater department at the college, Harry Oliver, did a great job of teaching me that Shakespeare, Shakespeare was not the way I was taught in high school, which is, you know, like bringing out the Bible and so forth. If, you know, in fact, in high school, you really have, you know, if you are taught Shakespeare wrong, you really have a, you know, trouble discerning between, you know, how Shakespeare is written and the way the Bible's written, at least the King James version. And, uh, Harry was great at showing us, uh, and teaching us how, Shakespeare wrote for the common man just as much as he did for the aristocracy. And once I started seeing, you know, okay, this is how, you know, how the language works and so forth, it made it much more fun for me. Um, and then uh, Guy Molnar did a great job of, uh, he did a couple seminars in some of the shows that I was in or that uh, he showed us how to deliver Shakespearean lines. And it was absolutely wonderful. Mm-hmm. So always when you, when you do learn that it's actually English, just a little convoluted, and you, you're able to understand what you're saying, the audience understands it as well. That's always a nice well, thing. I well, I see, all the Shakespeare shows that I've directed have been the comedies. And so I kind of go at it uh, f- a little bit from uh, the standpoint of, you know, the, the, some of the shows that you see at the uh, Renaissance festivals. I try to give it that funness. Mm-hmm. I, you know, my attitude is, you know, to get the audience to laugh out loud. Sometimes in a, in a Shakespeare play, the audience feels like, you know, oh, I got to be quiet. I got to be reserved. This is Shakespeare. No, I want them to laugh. You know, if it's funny, yes, laugh out loud. Have a good time. Right. Well, I'm sure that's what Shakespeare was trying for with his audiences as well. Well, Wizard, it it is time... We've uh, we've been able to get the 25 minutes, I hope. So I'm going to leave it here for right now. Thank you for your uh, for your time and patience with me. And, oh, thank you. Uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again at some point. Oh, thank you. All right, thanks much. Yep. Well, we're done. Run out of time once again. Thank you, Wizard, for your wonderful insights. Now, if you have any questions or concerns, wish to know more about the Playhouse or the Volunteer Table, or wish to chat with us and tell your story, send an email off to office at oldtownplayhouse.com. That's office at oldtownplayhouse, one word, dot com. Our music today is Talkies by Hama Hama. OTP Volunteer Table is produced in association with the Old Town Playhouse of Traverse City, Michigan. This is the OTP Volunteer Table. I am Don Kuhlhorn, and we'll see you on the boards with that ghost light.